first of all, thankful for your patience there. Um, but uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity uh, that the Lord has provided uh, for me to, uh, to direct uh, our, our gaze uh, briefly at, uh, at just a few texts from, uh, from Scripture, from the New Testament, uh, specifically this morning. I want to invite you to, uh, to turn, everybody, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we will, our, our gaze, our, our, our focus will be in verse 2 here, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. But the, the context here is, um, is, is, is wonderful. Uh, context always is, is extremely important. And so uh, want to, don't want to yank the verse out. Uh, of that context, but to to nestle it there, and and it's uh, a great way for us to do that uh, in reading all of these five, five verses here. So, I do invite you to stand again uh, for just a moment as we read these uh, verses together, and as we do read them, we always want to be asking the Lord that. Uh, that his spirit would be very active and and that he would be would be the instructor uh, that he would be that he would be the teacher so let's read 1 Corinthians 2 beginning in verse 1 and Paul writing to these Corinthian believers reminding them of some essential essential truths uh, continues here in chapter 2 And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we ask that you would please teach us this morning. We do trust your word. We treasure your word. We know that it points us to Jesus Christ. And we know that in its fullness, it teaches us the way of salvation and holiness through him. Please work by your spirit to impress these truths upon us. For we do want to see Christ. And we want to show Christ. May he be glorified in our hearing and in our doing. For his glory, amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
um, there are uh, there are just a uh, a few texts that uh, you can jot down if if you would like uh, a few quick references that you can go and read later, uh, but some but some key text, uh, just a just a handful of things that this morning, um, uh, I the Lord has impressed uh, upon me has has worked. Uh, these things uh, in in me uh, very acutely, uh, very um, uh, pointedly, in uh, in in recent weeks as life becomes um, it becomes hectic, uh, it becomes busy, uh, many things to do, many things to think about, uh, many things to accomplish. Uh, in the danger in that for for each one of us and i and i know that i'm i'm certainly not any uh different i i'm not an exception uh i know that we all confess that life does uh become very busy um but it's very important for us in those in the busyness and even busyness in things that we know are good that we know are what the Lord has, has called us to do and has he equipped us with the strength to, uh, to execute, it's very important that we understand our foundation, what we're standing on, what we are, uh, what we are uh, drawing from in, in our work, uh, in, in, our, in our responsibilities. And so uh, a few very, very helpful texts for for this for uh, for keeping for keeping the main thing the main thing. First Corinthians two one through five, uh, as we as we just uh, were able to read together. Ephesians two eight. Romans ten fourteen through seventeen. Revelation 2, 1 through 8, and 2 Timothy 1, 1 8 through 2.13. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 2.13. And uh, each of these texts are going to uh, pull out, uh, remind us of some very important realities about the gospel, about the good news, about uh, the work that the triune God has done to redeem and reform men and women for his own glory, to take them from darkness and bring them to the light, to take them from living and loving the darkness, to living in and loving and shining, reflecting the light, the gospel of Christ, the great good news. And yes, we, we are aware that all of Scripture is doing that. All of Scripture is pointing us to Christ, but that, that 
so vitally important kernel that's there of repentance and faith. Calling to repentance and calling to faith. The gospel, the good news, loving the good news and growing in it. In our life, in our walk as Christian men and women, we never move beyond that. We never move beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't get past the good news about him. We never move to a higher or more glorious truth. We don't progress to a deeper or more abiding grace. We don't reach a greater or more intimate love because we never move beyond the gospel. We grow within the gospel. It's deeper into the gospel we live and we grow. It's delving into the gospel that is glorious. It's the love that God gives to us through the gospel that uh, teaches us of His work and grows us in Him. So church, um, this, this morning may we be, be reminded that we must keep our eyes on the gospel of Jesus Christ, this great good news, in our homes, in our jobs, in our stations of life, uh, in our places of service, in our positions of influence, may we always be gravitating to and working out from this good news, from this gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ. And Lord, we do ask that you would keep us near the cross, that we would be mindful of your work, your work through the Son and the Spirit to redeem and reform us, to bear your image for your glory, to keep us mindful then of all of the implications that this work has for how we live every day. Please prevent us from being overwhelmed in the implications and accomplishing those implications of our own without always remembering why it is we do what we do and how it is we do what we do. Yours is the glory, Father, Son, Spirit, in our salvation and in our holy living. Amen. The gospel of Christ is a most precious gift in tandem with the gift of faith, the good news of Christ, and His work is essential for our salvation and for growing in holiness. Because how can we exercise that gift of faith? Ephesians 2.8 How can we exercise the gift without, without knowing where our faith has to be? How, knowing what it is we are exercising. Romans 10 How will we know whom we should trust? How are we to believe in Him, as Paul says? in whom we've never heard. Our faith is a gift, Ephesians 2.8, but 
It's, and it's not a product of works so that we can't boast about it. But the free gift of faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This word of Christ, uh, the testimony about his work, the, the fullness, the richness that we can never fully uh, plumb the depths of, uh, this, is, uh, this is the good news, the report of who he is. This is the good news about how God does reconcile sinful men and women to himself and each other, himself and each other from every tribe, every people, every tongue. This word of Jesus Christ is priceless and it's essential, it's, it's irreplaceable. Um, and again, that's the reason why we don't, there, there's, not a, there's not another level. There's not something else that is in addition to. There's, there's simply a growing in this good news and working out the implications of what it means to be redeemed and remade in Christ's image. There are many important pursuits really important endeavors that the Lord calls us to, that He assigns for each one of us, growing godly and Godward families, pursuing justice, teaching pastors, teaching children, training children, encouraging our brothers, teaching our sisters, living And whatever station the Lord has, living as lights amid a crooked and perverse generation. But if we remove or replace or devalue or overshadow or neglect the good news, if we get the cart before the horse, then our exercise of faith will eventually become a trust in our own thoughts or our own works or our own plans. And our minds and hands quickly and easily become preoccupied with our own activity, uh, the things that we have right in front of us. Even in our pursuit of righteousness, of justice, of truth and goodness, and beauty. Beloved, the good news must be prized and it must be cherished because it's a precious gift from the Lord that does provide, remember, the content of our faith. We cannot exercise that faith without gravitating to and enriching our minds and our hearts with this testimony about Christ, this instruction about who He is and what He's done for His people. Our pursuits and endeavors in life, the task to which the Lord calls us to labor, must be born out of the gospel. They have to be motivated by the gospel. 
It's because of what God has done, who He is, who He's made us now to be and enabled us, recreated us to reflect His image. It's because of that that we're pursuing righteousness and justice, uh, goodness, truth, beauty. And so we have to be grounded in that gospel. Again, the, the fallacy is, well, I've already heard that instruction. I need something more. There's nothing more that we need. There's nothing that could be, even be more glorious, uh, more, more blessed than, than what we have in the gospel. It's simply a matter of growing in it and of conforming to it. Church, let us keep our eyes on the gospel. Let us prize the good news because it's a priceless gift. But also, let us love the good news. May we love the good news and love to hear the good news and love to encourage one another with this gospel and let us never tire of hearing it. Our love of God who gives this good news to us and our love for one another must not be surpassed. It must not be put off. It must not be neglected. Remember Revelation 2. Jesus, in these letters to the churches, rehearses some exemplary aspects of the early Ephesian church there in Revelation 2. They were, they were exemplary in many respects. They were toiling, toiling with patient endurance. They were admirably bearing up for the name of Christ. They were tireless in their work, in their labor, in their exertion, Jesus says. They were successfully discerning and resisting false apostles. They were not bearing with their evil instruction. They, this early Ephesian church, was a bulwark for truth and for goodness. Again, very, very admirable in what they were, were doing. Their, their labor, their toil, Jesus says, their work. But, but what, was, what was the problem there in Revelation 2? Their work, reflecting uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, their work was without love. They had fallen away. They had abandoned their first love. They had become preoccupied in that work, in that activity. As good as that activity was, and as necessary as it was, their love for God and for others that comes in response to that precious good news of Christ was abandoned. Their work had taken precedent over the reason why they were doing the work. And that's a very important reminder for, for us, for every, for every 
body of believers, every, every church, that love is, is essential. And without that love, even the work that you're doing, what does Paul say, becomes noisy. It becomes distracting. Church, let us grow in our love for God and for others. And let us use the means that he's given for us to do that. Let us cultivate our love for the gospel. May our ears be attuned to that good news and rejoice when we hear that good news, when we see that good news in action, and let us give glory to God for that free gift, both free gifts, the gift of faith that trusts the gift of the good news. Prize the good news. It is a precious gift. Love the good news. It cultivates our love for God and for others. And also, let us, Lord, may we guard the good news. This precious gift that generates our love for God and our love for for His image bearers must not be neglected. It can't be set aside. It can't be put away. Instead, what do we see from Paul in 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapters, really, chapters 1 and 2. Paul's reminding Timothy there as he's nearing the end of his time in this life. He's having to, uh, to pass the mantle, to pass the torch. Uh, he's reminding Timothy of very important needs that he's got to pursue. And right at the front of this letter, Paul tells Timothy, you must entrust this good news. You've got to entrust it to faithful men who can pass it along to others. This good news must be guarded. Do not be ashamed of this testimony, Paul says. Don't be ashamed. Now, the, the, the implication, the assumption is that there could be shame that in presenting and in standing firm on this gospel of Christ and Him crucified, that there might be people that don't like it and there might be a temptation to shy away from it, to avoid uh, the worry of, of shame. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of it. Don't shy away from this good news about our Lord, but instead, hold firm to it. Pass it on. Entrust this good testimony about Jesus Christ to faithful men for safekeeping and for accurate transmission. Because it is precious. Because we must love it and cherish it. And subsequent generations, as long as the Lord tarries, must have this good news. They must have this gospel. And, and the church can't be so preoccupied with doing the implications of what the gospel teaches us that the roots of that work, the reasons 
that we pursue those things is lost. Without a conscious effort to retain and pass along the good news, notice the implication Paul is teaching Timothy, the implication is that it can be lost. May we not lose, but instead keep the good news. Guard the good news. Love the good news. And prize the good news. And finally, fundamentally, let us know the good news. Father, may we know this good news. By all observations that we can make from Scripture, the Apostle Paul was a very intelligent and gifted teacher. Just consider a few things that he did know. Things that we can discern, that we can see in Scripture. These are things that Paul knew. As a Pharisee, he knew Scripture. His knowledge of the Old Testament was extensive. His ability to recall texts, to quote passages, was profound. It was an incredibly important tool that the Lord used to grow the early church, to teach the early church. But in the days before the Lord saved him, in the days when he was kicking against the goads, he had built in his, in his mind a, a, a profound awareness and knowledge of Scripture. He knew Scripture. His zeal to know and follow the law, he says himself, was unsurpassed. There was, there was no one, Paul says, who had a greater zeal, and he says in the context there, misplaced though it was, there was no one who had a greater zeal to know and follow the law. Even to the extent, he says, that in that former life, again, going in exactly the wrong direction, still, he says, he could be blameless regarding the law. There was no one in his days before Christ rescued him from darkness. There was no one who could claim to be a better, more blameless law keeper than he was. Paul knew what the law required, and he knew that God's people must keep it to be holy. Again, things we know that Paul knew because because he gives us his testimony in that way. Paul knew the history of God's people, and he knew that this history was necessary for contemporary instruction and example. But Paul didn't just know Scripture. He didn't just know the revelation from the one true God. Paul also knew Greek philosophers, and he could quote from their writings in his own teaching. And so he also knew how to speak even to the hardened, unbelieving heart from its own conscience. That's, that's one of the uh, amazing aspects of, of, his, uh, of his instruction in Athens. 
that he was, he was able to, to, to speak to the consciences of those hearers using their own philosophers to point out the holes in, in their own teaching. Paul knew, he, he knew contemporary thought and he knew how to speak to it. Paul knew that the church must live a certain way. And he was able to provide an extensive amount of instruction that from the beginning, the church has recognized this, this is from the Lord. This is inspired instruction that comes, that, that came from Paul's hand. The Lord used Paul. The Lord used what he knew was necessary to provide great teaching for the church all the way to this day. Paul knew that the church had to live a certain way. Paul knew that rhetoric was powerful. Even though he deprecated his own rhetorical skills, even though he says he wasn't very rhetorical, just read the book of Romans. And you can see that he has left us with some actually masterful and influential works that do employ great rhetorical skill. So Paul knew how to be a good speaker. He knew how to be a good rhetorician. He also knew how to work hard. He was a hard worker, often choosing to work hard at tent making or other forms of support so that he didn't burden the churches, he knew how to work hard. He knew how to endure hardship then. He knew how to endure hardship and suffering, but at the same time, he says, he also knew how to handle abundance and success. Paul knew how to give good counsel for life's issues, everything from family relations to church health to government action, Paul knew how to give godly counsel. Paul knew and experienced many things, things that were really important, experiences that made him a good observer of human nature and a great teacher of the way of Christian living. Paul's knowledge was vast. And yet, what does Paul decide to know from all of this vast knowledge upon which he could draw and he could, uh, he could call upon in these, these key moments, what does he say that he decided to know according to his testimony there in 1 Corinthians 2.2? Paul says, I decided to know only the testimony of God about Jesus Christ crucified. The gospel. The wisdom. The power of God, Paul says. Of all the things and all the approaches he might take, this, this is the path that he knew would give glory to God. This is the path that he knew. As he says there in verse 5, it would be obvious that it is not human wisdom that has 
that has fabricated this, this is the power of God. What is it that communicates that? It's knowing Christ and Him crucified. Above all, Paul knew that the most important information that he needed to communicate was the testimony about Jesus Christ and His work to save sinners through His death on the cross as their substitute. Great news. Glorious news. News that when we first heard it and the Spirit quickened our hearts, we couldn't hardly believe. How can it be? Glorious news that we don't move past. That each day when we wake up, each day when we go to bed, we remind ourselves of the glorious gospel of Christ. That He has substituted Himself, taken my place, atoned for my sins, and has refashioned me, remade me in His image with His righteousness. This was not a message that Paul decided to give them without thinking. It wasn't an accidental or a coincidental message. Paul, the the language there is that Paul deliberately resolved. He approached this with this clear intention. This is what the churches need to know. Because he knew that this good news is the one and only power of God for salvation. There were other things that Paul had to communicate, that he needed to tell them, and that he did communicate. A lot of them are in these two letters to the, to the Corinthians. But all of that instruction flowed out of the good news. It springs forth from the gospel of Christ. These things are implications of the good news. So remember, remember just the very structure of these letters, how it helps us to see that truth. The writers don't immediately jump into, these are the things you need to do. They always remind us, this is what God has accomplished for you. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. And now, because this is who you are, these are the things you do. Our proneness is to go to give me the things I need to do and neglect, always refreshing our minds, sinking, rooting deep within us. This is what God has done for you. This is the good news of your salvation. And that is the fuel that sustains us, that keeps us from thinking, look at what my hands have built. And instead, realizing how amazing is is it that the Lord has accomplished these things in me. As Paul says, these fragile jars of clay, it's... It's that amazement and that wonder that we can't move beyond, but that we live within. And that fuels 
what we do. Like Paul, we must resolve to know the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, then to the Twelve. Know the Gospel. Know this testimony. Guard this testimony. Love this testimony. Prize this testimony. Because it's essential. It's irreplaceable. It is the substance of our faith. It's the motivation for all of our pursuits. And it is most worthy of our meditation, our love, our devotion, our thanksgiving, our very lives. Let us ask the Lord to impress, always impress this glorious news upon us. Let us ask Him to instill it within us and let us always ask Him to fill us with its wonderful grace. And then, and then, let us ask Him to equip us with the ability to apply the implications and the truths of this good news to all of our lives. For His glory and by His grace, our greatest good. Dear Father, we... do treasure this testimony. We treasure this word about Christ and we marvel at about how you have brought this salvation about. that in the far reaches of our beginnings to our very first parents, there was an expectation, there was an awareness that sin and death and the lies of the evil one would not have the final say, but that you but that you would provide the means of salvation, of victory, that sin and the curse of sin would be crushed. And we marvel today that you've brought that good news to us, that we can know Christ and that Christ knows us. That you've given us two amazing gifts. The gift of faith and the gift of, of this testimony so that we can exercise that faith. Lord, continue 
to grow us in the gospel, to make it ever-present before our eyes, that we might always cherish it and love to communicate it, love to talk about it, love to consider it, and always be astonished and amazed. And never presume, never presume that we are who we are only because of you. We love the gospel. We cherish the gospel. We guard it. And Lord, we know it. Because the Spirit is working in our hearts. Please continue that work. And in all other things that our lives, our feet, our hands, our mouths, our minds are given to do by you. Please, Lord, may this great good news always be the fuel for those pursuits. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.